from the Brooklyn Paper Building in beautiful downtown Brooklyn. It's America's downtown. This is uh, Brooklyn Paper Radio. Brooklyn Paper Radio. I'm your host, Vince DiMaselli. With me today, of course, uh, my co-host, Tony Rotuno. Tony? Good afternoon, Vince. It is afternoon now, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's some time that I can't keep up with. It's I can never keep up with what's going on. There's too much going on. The day goes by so quickly around here. You don't know. You don't know what hits you. No, you don't. You never know what's gonna what's gonna hit you. So we got a we got a we got a great show today. Yes, I'm very excited. About you know, it. Stephanie Thompson, who is our fearless parenting uh, columnist, the she one writes and only. She writes about parenting without fear. Which I I've never been a parent, but I you would, would imagine never, there's a lot of fear. No, you involved. would never understand. Parenting is the one thing in life that I can honestly say, like all those things that your parents used to say to you, or that or the, that parents or people that have children say to you. No, you just don't understand. You don't have a child. You don't understand. It's true. It's true. It is true. Until the child is born and out there. You do not understand what... Am I right, Jimmy? Right? Jimmy Jimmy's agrees. nodding. No, he's nodding. He agrees. Jimmy right? agrees. Once it happens to you, it's completely different than, than anything else. The only thing you have to fear is parenting. But Stephanie is fearless. She is fearless in parenting, as, as, well, she, as well she should do. She's going to be on a bit later. Right? I can't... Yeah, I'm looking forward to no, that. No, it's going to be very exciting. And uh, joining us in a few minutes is going to be uh, Ben Richardson. And Ben... Is uh, working. He's he's in charge of the the website and the movement that is uh, block80flatbush.org, right? Which is a movement. Um, if anyone's been following our coverage of the 80 Flatbush project proposed for Borum Hill, it's it's really galvanized a lot of of locals as it has proceeded. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get it's into that. We'll we'll get to that in a minute, right? But I wanted to ask you, Tony, since we last spoke. Yeah. How have you been? What's going on? I've been pretty good. You know, I can't complain. But the um, reason why I ask is because I am infatuated with this new Elvis Presley thing on uh, on HBO. There's a, a Presley thing on no, HBO? No, there's an Elvis Presley um, documentary. It's called Elvis Presley, The Searcher. And it's on HBO. I still have to watch the Gary Shandley. I told you about that, too. I know. HBO has done it again. You're literally filling up my net, or my HBO Now queue. You have the HBO With each now. Each passing day, yes, absolutely. All right, the Elvis one is two parts. Now I've only seen uh, the second part pretty much in full, pretty much in full, and I've seen the first part like most of it, but not the whole thing, because you know I have very little time, Tony. Yeah, I, I have very little time. Stretched thin is not even the right way to. Describe yeah, to watch it. these things, but I re- but I really now you know I'm, I'm a fan of Elvis, right? I didn't know you're an oh, Elvis fan. Oh, huge Elvis fan. Huge. But you're generally a music appreciator. So Where were you surprised. when Elvis died? What year did he die? 1977, August. I was a glint in my mother's See, eye. See, there you go. That didn't that didn't happen for you. Where were you, uh, Jimmy? Where were you when Elvis died? It was August of 78, 77. You have no idea. You don't know where you were. You don't know where you were. I will tell you exactly where I was when I learned Elvis died. We were playing in front of Buster's house across the street. Okay. All the kids are Stick out. Stickball or something? We're pl- no, we're just playing. I don't know. We might have been playing tag or, or sure. you know, hide and seek or something like that. Because 1977, I'm six years old. But I'm outside. Hey. I am outside. There are no adults around. We're just playing out on the street, right? And Buster comes out and breaks the news to us that Elvis Presley has died. And what was the reaction among your friends? We were like, Elvis who? <laughs> 
So you weren't a fan back then. Well, here's what happened. There were some older kids out with us that were probably 12 or 13. Okay. Now, the 12 or 13-year-olds, they knew about Elvis. The, uh, the, the six and seven-year-olds, we didn't know anything about Elvis. You but the 12 or 13-year-olds, and I remember their reaction. Like, oh, my God, Elvis died. Oh, my God. You know, oh, it's terrible. And they were very upset about it. And that's when this whole Elvis thing started for me. That's when I learned that. And then, like, the next thing I know, my brother, my older brother, had a picture of Elvis, like a poster. Back in the day, we used to buy posters. Sure. And you'd put them on I've the wall. I've heard of them. You'd put them on the wall. And my brother had a poster of Elvis from the 68 Comeback Special. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the 68 Comeback Special, everybody thinks Elvis was, like, old and fat. Yes. But he was not old and fat. So, I mean, the guy died. He was 42. He was young. He was a young man. All right? He looked old. He did not look well, good. Well, when you're the king, Things the happen. crown is heavy, darling. Things happen. Things happen. So Elvis, he, um, 68 comeback special, he's born in 35. So do the math. He's not 35 35, 35 is 70. He's not 35 years old. He's 30, 32, 33 years old. He's 33 years old, and he's still That's in my age, great shape. by the way, there more you go. or less. Yeah, and so you're in great shape. So now I'm really relating to it. You can see it, right? 68 comeback special. My brother had this poster of him like sweating and in this leather suit. I mean, it's like fantastic. But it was very 1950s to me. Even though it was 68, it was very 1950s. But that was the thing. Elvis was a big thing for my parents, you know, because they were born during that thing. My dad was born in 42. Oh, wow. So, like, when Elvis came around, he, yeah, was, he, he was, was like 12, 13 years old, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And Elvis was very young. Is that the first sort of pop? popular culture figure that you remember the death of oh you know you know how those things you always remember yeah where were you the day yeah that is probably the first moment in my life that i remember somebody saying oh somebody died huh gotta be gotta be elvis it's gotta be maybe that's why it means so much to me yeah i mean i don't know not but, that we're gonna spend the whole time on the i couch, don't want to but yeah you know, i'd love to keep probing you know yeah well the point is in this special in this, uh, The Searcher, they talk a lot about the 68 comeback special. They kind of oh. open with it, and they kind of close with it. And they close the show. I don't want to give away anything, all right? But they close the show. One of the songs that he did, the la- one of the last songs that he did, uh, or the last song that he did on the 68 comeback special was um, uh, If I Can Dream. Okay. All right? So If I Can Dream was written by a guy who had listened to Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Right. And then, of course, 68. You might know some things have happened. Sure. Big year for the civil rights movement. Well, it was a big year for the civil rights movement because they shot Martin Luther King Jr. and killed him. All right? Oh, and... And later on, Robert Kennedy. So, the day that Elvis sings, records the song for the 68 comeback special, which, by the way, was on NBC, um... Was the day Bobby Kennedy uh, was shot? Was shot. Oh wow! They found out about it, and Elvis said to the guys around him, "He said, I, I can't do a good Elvis, can I? I don't think I could do a good Elvis.' <laughs> All right, boys, I want you to, I want you, I want you to, I want you to listen to what I'm about to do, and I, I want you to hear it." Was that just Elvis? Did he come into the I room? I think we had Elvis in the room. Guys, Elvis briefly. has left the building. The fact is. <laughs> And this performance of If I Can Dream, if you watch it, is phenomenal. And that's the thing about Elvis. Listen, he wasn't the Beatles. He wasn't a singer-songwriter. He was a, he was a performer. He was a one-man show. He was a performer, and he could do it like, I mean, 
And oh, you see this performance in the documentary? You see it in the documentary. I mean, you can go onto the Google. I'm sure. You can go onto the Google, onto the YouTube, and you can see it at any time. But you should watch the special because you will learn a lot about Elvis. I had a good friend of mine, Matthew Sweeney. All right? Sweeney. Matthew Sweeney was a reporter with me back at the Brooklyn paper back in the, in the mid-90s. Okay. Uh, up until the early aughts, I'd say. Probably, well, maybe just late, late 90s. Late 90s. Sweeney worked with me. And me and Sweeney got along real well. Uh, because we were the same age and, you know, we kind of grew up in the same type of environment with brothers that beat the crap out of us. So he, um, he used to say, I always thought Elvis was a joke. I always thought Elvis was a joke. And then I went to Graceland and I visited Graceland and they give you the whole tour of Graceland and the whole thing. And the last thing you see is a movie that they show you where they tell you all about Elvis's life. And at the end, they play Elvis, uh, walk a mile in my shoes. And that's when Matt Sweeney said, you know what? If you really want to understand Elvis, you got to walk a mile in his shoes. you got to do it. you got to do it. And then you walk away. He's like, he's, it changed me forever. Wow. So I didn't need that because I had Buster telling me yeah, Elvis you, was dead. You had already done the proverbial walk. Yeah, Buster told me he was dead. Uh, that changed me forever. But I recommend it. It's called Elvis Presley, The Searcher, and you should watch it on the HBO. I, I Yeah, I, 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 it's, you know... Pop, I get so, so much not, in my culture from these films because I feel gypped growing up before all of this happened. Right? I had some Elvis. I had Elvis on eight track. They put out some albums. Let me tell you something about Colonel Tom Parker. That guy, I don't like that guy. Was he the producer? No, he was. His, he was his like manager. Oh, or something he was like that. his manager. But he didn't care about anything. All he cared about. Is that green stuff, Tony? Is that green? That's huh? all he cared about. Which kind of it's transitions really, us to what we're going to talk about transition. today. beautiful transition. We're going to transition, right? Yeah. Tell us what we're going to talk about today. Tell us what we're talking about with Ben here. So, Ben, so bef- before we throw the mic to Ben, a little uh, background for those who maybe haven't been following our coverage. Um, A.D. Flatbush is... Which they should be doing, by the way. Which you should be doing because we've probably got a story about this up once a week. Um, it's one of the biggest developments going on in Brooklyn right now, if if not the biggest. Um, and development stories are the most important stories we, we write. Isn't that correct, Tony? My boss has said that more than once. Okay. My boss being you. Um, I, bl- I believe I have. Yes. Yeah. It's a common refrain around here. Our changing Brooklyn stories are, are important um, because... Brooklyn is constantly changing. I'm sorry I, I interrupted. Tell us about this development. No, so the long story endless, because I could probably talk for way longer than I should about one development. Um, we call it a mega development because it's it's this five-building project that will incorporate both old structures on the land where it is planned for, which is on the edge of Borham Hill, bounded by Flatbush Avenue, State Street, Schirmerhorn Street, and 3rd Avenue. We say Skirmerhorn. Skirmerhorn. I like that shh. You like the shh. shh. Don't don't, don't shush me. Vince. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've I've lost my train of thought because you shushed me. No, it's um, five-building development. Two of the buildings are brand-new towers, one of which is 38 stories, the other, which is really one of the main polarizing aspects of it, is a 74-story tower. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. 74 stories. 74 What's stories. What's the tallest building in Brooklyn right now? That's a good question, but That's it's not. It's not seventy-four stories. It will be one of the I tallest. It's the hub. I think. I think Ben 50. wants to jump. Ben, I, I want to welcome. Right I want to welcome Ben Richardson to the show. He's going to help Tony out here. 
Ben, what's the tallest building in Brooklyn right now? I am pretty certain it is the Hub. Which and what is, is the Hub? I don't know what that is. It's a, a residential development uh, across the street on Schirmerhorn Street. Schirmerhorn. Schirmerhorn. Uh, or Schirmerhorn. Um, and I think it's 55 stories. 55, 55 stories. So now stories don't actually mean anything. To, well, it's all about stories. It's all we got are stories. But All of them. But stories, in, in this case, means about like how many feet? It's about, t- I think roughly it's 10 feet per story. So if you have like roughly, but heard. that doesn't actually, it's the not. 80 Flatbush, the tall tower, is planned for Nearly 1,000 feet. Even though it's only, how many stories? 74. 74 stories, but more than 1,000 feet. No, nearly 1,000. Nearly, nearly. 986. More than 950 feet. Correct. Now, how tall is that in terms of, say, I, for, the, for the person that's not good with numbers and, and feet, and uh, like, like, how many elephants is that? Or maybe you have some other or how some many other, other buildings idea. is that? <laughs> you know, the Chrysler Building comes to mind. Ah, the Chrysler Building. My favorite building in Manhattan, by the it way. It is a beautiful building. A wonderful, wonderful building. In Midtown Office, Manhattan. Uh, Built right next to Grand Central Terminal cool. for a reason. Yes, for a reason. Yeah. It is contextual there. And it was built a long time ago as well. But uh, the 74-story building would be as tall as the Chrysler Building if you take off about a third or two-thirds of the spire. So oh, so the, the little pointy thing on top. Correct. Is that an antenna? I'm not certain. I don't think I, it is. A decorative spire. It yeah. is a decorative. Do you know the story of the decorative spire with the Chrysler building? I don't know the story of that one, but I do know the story of the one the one on One World Trade Center, which you know they added just so they could claim it's the tallest they can building get to in that. the Western yeah, no, that's Hemisphere. Th- well, that's but what there's they no do. function to it. They use these decorative spires. For, spi- spi- spire. Spires. For a reason. But the funny thing about the, the Chrysler building one was back when they were building the Chrysler building, there were a lot of buildings vying for the tallest building mm. in the city. And the Chrysler building was was going up against another building. They were both going up at the same time. It wasn't the Empire State building. Because the Empire State building pretty much towers over it. But it was another building nearby. And they they never had they, like, they didn't have plans. They didn't have uh, zoning laws or any of this crap back then. You know, this is the 1930s. It was pretty much you did whatever the hell you wanted. And they hid that spire in the building. It was oh, wow. hidden in the building. And like the other building went up and said, all right, we're the tallest building in the world. And like a day later, the Chrysler building, they lifted up the spire from the center, put it in place, and they had the tallest they building. They had that the ace up there. And that's how they nailed them. Yeah. Strategery. They, they didn't know. It was strategery before there was strategery. Mm. They really strategery. Yeah. Yeah. Never count out a building until the spire. All right. But I digress. Placed. I digress. So anyway, so what's so the problem with this development? Uh, the the problem. Or what's the controversy? Some, some claim, and Ben, please please jump in. Uh, ben Ben, uh, you know, actually, I want to lob this to you, Ben, yeah, uh, sure. because you're involved. You're attending the community board meetings. You're not on the board, but you're an engaged citizen. Correct. I, I started out as a very unofficial engaged citizen. Uh, and it has since driven my awareness of the world around me in a lot of different ways, uh, this one issue and a lot of other things. But I am now a board member of the Fort Greene Association, mm-hmm. which is our neighborhood association. I live in Fort Greene. Uh, and, and that's on the other side of Flatbush Avenue, right? Correct. Okay. Directly across the street. And I've also been working very closely with the Borum Hill Association, uh, and that group has really led the way in in 
uh, activism and bringing people together, creating this movement, um, because it is in Borum Hill, right? So it's their neighborhood. Um, but it's, you know, when you right put... Right on the border, right? Right on the border. But when you put 74 stories and a thousand, nearly a thousand residential units in a place that's already pretty dense, you're going to impact more than the surrounding couple blocks. Sure. So, uh, for example, you know, shadows is one thing, and that's jumping to another thing, but we've uh, had a shadow study done by a professor at Pratt, an architecture school, and it will cast shadows at certain times of the day and year uh, through Fort Greene Park. Well, let me ask you a question. Before we get into shadows, before we get into how this is going to affect water pressure when you flush your toilet and all that <laughs> stuff, um, is this building as of right? Is this something that they can just come in and build, or do they have to go through some kind of zoning process? Because nowadays, unlike the 1930s, it's, not. it's pretty strict about how you can... There are rules can, and regulations. There are rules and regulations you must follow. So what's going on with this building? So it is going through, that's a very good question, it is going through the ULERP Process one of the we, ugliest sounding acronyms I've ever heard. As you know, I don't believe in acronyms. Universal, but I do believe in ULERP. Okay, you do believe in ULERP? Of course, I believe in ULERP. Universal Just Land a, Use Review Process. You have to spell it out the first time. Fair. I was going to say, does that mean we every don't time have after that? No, but you just spell anymore. it ULERP, all lowercase. All lowercase. Yeah, screw them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm not doing. It's either all you will lowercase. Be case sensitive. Here's the problem. I have an issue with. Well, first of all. I have an issue with um, acronyms and abbreviations because I feel they are the death of communication. Mm. And we talk about this. Have we talked about this on the air? We We've might talked. Have. I believe we talked about it on the air last week with the comedian. I mean, this could literally their website was th an acronym, right? Oh. So this could literally be like this could be my thing. You know how like Lenore Skenazy wrote one column about her son, right? And like, now she's taking got the subway, and now she's got a career a on career, that. Yeah, maybe I can get a career on acronyms You're, and abbreviations. I think you could. All right, I don't. know, Maybe the point is you've got a lot of time on your hands. They basically, I have, I have <laughs> <laughs> they basically, they basically, it's like they're they're made to confuse. You know, yeah, and especially when it comes to city uh, policy, when it comes to the Department of Education, you sit down, and you talk to teachers, and they're like, "Oh, well, your son has to take the blue, 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 and the L, and the and the ULAP, and the and the FERLERP, and the and you're like, what are you talking e about? Can you can you yeah, can you speak in English? I I really want you to speak in English because I have no idea what you're talking about. You're throwing letters at me. That's one. Two, aesthetically, when you look at a newspaper, which we produce here along with this fantastic podcast. Great paper. When you look at a newspaper and you look down at it and you see all those acronyms, they jump out at you. So aesthetically, it's not pleasing. It's like you read you can see all those words like jumping hence the lowercase. So what I'm saying is with you learn we just keep it lowercase or something. It blends. Like that. It's it's more that way um, it, it, it kind of blends in. But you can use Acronyms that have actually become words. Now, there, again, there's a difference between an acronym and an abbreviation. Mm. Like SOS is not pronounced SOS. So SOS is an, is an abbreviation for, I guess, I don't know, does it actually mean save our ship? No. I don't know what it's an abbreviation for. Uh, Jimmy's, Jimmy's, Jimmy's shaking his head. He's shaking his head. He's shaking his head, which yeah. is fine. But scuba, which is a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, has become a word. Yeah. You know, so that's something that, you know, we're allowed to use that word, but we just use scuba and we don't do it all capital letters. We just spell out scuba. So we can do that with ULERP. I just made, that's it. I, it's the, a word. The ULERP, while we're on the ULERP process, yeah. though, and I'm saying that in all lowercase, um, I, I, you know, without jumping around too much, it's, it's a really important point, which relates to why 
Ben is here. The the ULERP is a public review process required by the local government. Required you know what? By the city. Forget ULERP. I just want you to say the review or the, the land review. It's it's review. basically a, po- a process whereby yeah. the, the, the public process. and local officials can review the proposed use of this land that these towers will go on, which will require changes to zoning law. Correct. And it's a political process, public a political public review process. And one of the developments, one of the tools that Ben's group, which is called block80flatbush.org is their website, the Block 80 Flatbush group, put out to track public approval or opinion of this process is a poll. And over the weekend, that poll, according to Ben, was compromised by foreign agents who expressed an overwhelming show of support for this project, even though their the the internet identity that they came that, that that they left, the trace of their identity, was not from the city. So these are people out of the city and out of the country, some of them. So wait, you're telling me you were hacked by the Russians. Putin wants 80 Flatbush. Is that what's happening here? Please, explain. It is possible. Many things are possible. So I can tell you the facts, and the listeners and educated folks can draw their own conclusions. But Uh we put up this website in November, and from November 9th until March 31st, this poll, which was obviously internet polls are kind of not, you know, non-scientific, just something you throw a out there. A completely unscientific poll. Statistically meaningless. Just to see. Yeah, we once did that. It was a yes or no question. It was right? a yes or no question. We once did that, but it worked for us because we did find out that, in fact, J Street is the most dangerous street for bike riders in Brooklyn. And that's from our poll, and that is rock solid. I don't care what anybody says. But tell me about your poll. It's uh, So 44 votes in that uh, what is that? Five month period, four or five month period, uh-huh. and then you know, kind of as things heated up, uh, April first to April eighteenth, which was the day of the community board two uh, land, land use, use committee vote, vote yeah. uh-huh. which is the p- first vote in this lowercase Euler process. <laughs> Got it. There was twenty votes uh, during that time. About ten to fifteen percent of those votes were not from New York. But by and large, and one of them was my mother in New Jersey. So, so we are admitting that maybe you influenced the vote. I could have in influenced way. the vote and skewed it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, none of them were. I'm not just glad from she voted. US. I'm glad she voted along with you. I'm, I'm she she voted on the right side of this okay. issue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, none of them were not from the U.S. And then suddenly, at f- starting at 4:30 a.m. the last so last Wednesday, the 18th, the CB2 Land Use Committee voted. Frankly, quite surprisingly, 10 to nothing to one, one abstention against this upzoning request. Okay. So a, a unanimous resounding vote unanimous no. From everyone who was there. Correct. The abs- so you got the, the community board land use committee on your side. Correct. But not the community board as a whole yet, because the community board as a whole has is yet to vote. Is yet to vote. Okay. But that's coming up at the next meeting? The, in the ne- next the, month. Right. Yeah. Next okay. month. They will... The hope is they will follow the the opinion of their experts, but uh-huh. you never know. You never know. Trust me. You never me. know. You never know. You I've never been there. Know. I've been to community board meetings. They I've seen be, shocking votes. This is true. Where people have pulled their hair out. And, what happened? I mean, that's the, that's like the holy grail of a community board meeting, <laughs> <It's>, hair pulling. <laughs> <laughs> it's what, that's the entertainment. It's what you go for. Yeah. So 4.50 I go for the coffee. What happens at 4.50 a.m.? <coughs> votes start happening. Uh, 
on April 20th? April, no, April, April 19th, 19th at night, 4.50 in the so morning. So all of a sudden. So all of a sudden, at the pace of about two per minute, votes start ticking in. Wow. He got 40 votes for five months leading up to this. A 60. 60. 60, sorry. Now he's getting two per minute. And it, it continued at that pace for about 24 hours. And we racked up votes. Suddenly, this was an international issue. North Holland, the Netherlands. Let me tell you, Cape Town, South Africa. The Netherlands might be interested in this because our that's our that's our ancestral Brooklyn. home. Yeah, Bro- Brooklyn. New, it, it is New York, right? Brooklyn, the Seychelles, the Seychelles, Romania. Romania voted. Romania voted. We're getting closer. The, to the problem USSR. is, I'm what about Transylvania? Uh, they did not show up. They did not show up. Mm-hmm. North Korea did not represent either. Uh, Austria, Austria logged a couple of votes. And this is based on IP addresses. This is based on IP addresses. And IP address, of course, Internet Protocol. Correct. Which I read a lot about this morning. (laughs) Internet Protocol, and they can basically track where that person was when they... uh, Where that vote was cast. Yeah, where that vote was cast. Person or machine. Correct. Person or machine. Correct. Hence the whole unscientific thing. Right. There you go. So what bots do... So we... I saw this, and I saw not that the vote wasn't going my way, but that the vote... Well, I'm sure you saw the vote wasn't going I saw the vote was not representing what I knew to be the case, and there were, you know, 500 people who turned out for the community board hearing, and 400 people logged their their registration in opposition, so Mm -hmm. that's pretty, you know, people showing up physically. But I saw this activity out of the blue, which seemed odd, and so I pulled the poll down to investigate and then started looking at the data. Mm. No, but, you know, the first mistake you made was putting it up. And the second mistake you made was taking it down. Because when you take it down, now that's a conspiracy. Now, all of a sudden, everyone says, hey, that wasn't going the way he liked it, and he pulled the poll. That's what they say. I know. I've been through it. Actually, I have. That is is what Yimby said. I don't take it down. Who's Yimby? Yimby is Yes in My Backyard ah, website. A pro so, development website. Well, yeah, Yimby would be the opposite of NIMBY, which also an acronym for Not in, not my, in backyard. my Backyard. So they took it, they reversed it, and started over. Take it, reverse Flipped it, started it, reversed over, it. it, started over. Is Yimby, it sounds like is, a song. Is Yimby. It sounds like yeah. something on Broadway. I think it is. Amy right. Flatbush, the musical. Um, <laughs> where's Gersh Kunchman when you need him? <laughs> he could work on that. But no, um, yeah, they took it, they flipped it, and reversed so, it. And, so and Yimby, so Yimby on it, jumps like on said. this. Yimby jumps on this on their on its website and says what? And and they wrote starts accusing you of uh, uh, malicious activity. More or less, they wrote an incredibly inflammatory, highly editorialized article about... Did anyone contact you before that piece was written? No. Okay. There was no contact from Nikolai Fedak, the owner of NIMBY and, or Yimby and the writer of the article. Wait a second. His name is Nikolai what? Fedak. Fedak. Fed- Nikolai. Fedak. Nikolai Fedak. Nikolai Fedak. He's, uh, I, I know next, next to nothing about him. It looks like Don't he went to him. Fordham. Full disclosure, we did have a, uh, full disclosure, we did work with Yimby on some things a couple of years ago regarding getting information from their site and publishing it in our newspapers. Uh, 
to it's before your time, Tony. Yeah, I but was basically say. we we had we would we would put their listings in of stuff that was happening in the neighborhood, but just as uh, you know, deal. And I honestly don't remember was who I made that feed, deal with. Like the. Um the Brooklyn feed. No, no, no. It wasn't. No, no, no. Not the aggregator. It wasn't in the Brooklyn Wire. It was basically we did a page in print where we oh, we see. wrote about all the different things that were happening, and we took the content from Yimby and we gave Yimby credit for it. So I see. I, I just see. want to give it you full disclosure on that. But I have no. I don't remember or recall the the persons I did in fact speak to. I would have to look into it, but I don't know who they did. No, and Yimby is a very helpful resource because. You know, as Vince pointed out earlier, development is the only constant in this borough, and and it is helpful to have a site that spotlights pretty much every single project going on. But I don't. I never thought of Yimby as anything that would, uh, or Yimby as a website that, that that was opinionated or would do anything but report what was going on. So very few stories that I saw in them were actual stories editorialized about editorialized or that that had like that, yeah. not so much that had an opinion, but that actually told a story outside of this development is happening. So I, I have a hard time see, finding a way to, ca- to, to cast this story as purely fact-based, and I'm trying to pull the a correct quote. I read quote. the story. Yeah. yeah. So one quote I see, deplorables do not start in the South or the Midwest. Just as fashion, food, and culture are exported from cities to the heartland, so are hatred and desperation. Connecting the problems that have begun manifesting so negatively so much of this country, across so much of this country, demands dealing with their root cause. All right, I got to cut you up because I, I don't even know where that's going. I, I, I don't know where it came from or where it's going. Right. But my, you know, my question is when, and I think Tony answered this. I'm not sure if we got an answer. Did anyone contact you about this before they wrote the story? There are no, 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 no one contacted one you. They didn't try to contact you or anyway. See, no. it's very difficult for me to have this conversation with you as a journalist because I can't get Yimby on the phone right now and talk to them and have a, and have a and have a back and forth. Fair enough. But the fact of the matter is. You're under the impression that somebody, and it seems, based on the evidence you're showing us, as long as that evidence is, is factual, it yep. seems that you know somebody did go in and kind of hack the site and push the um, push the, the public the, opinion, in, push in the one the, the quote unquote public opinion in one way, and then when you took it down, Yimby reacted to that. That is a fact. Correct. Those are facts. Those are facts. Those are facts. So that's that's that. Yeah, those seem to be the you top can, line. One, that's that's one, what that's one what dot that's not necessarily a leap, but also is evident in the story is that there is a screenshot of the site with the poll votes at their maximum number in the story, mm-hmm. and the story was written three days after I took it down, or two days after it was published on the twenty third on Monday. So if you were not so what you're saying is what you're saying is the where poll, there's where there's smoke there's fire is what you're saying. There's a little bit of smoke here. Okay, there's I, a little bit of smoke here. I can't obviously speak for for that, or not, I don't know. And again, I would like to have Yimby on the phone uh, to talk about it. And I'm sure if we're doing a story on this, we would contact them to see what they have to say. Uh, yeah, of course. So I mean, I think you know, I think this the the Yimby portion of this is speculation. I think what's what's really intriguing is how some entity, based on your data, sort of hacked into this public approval process run by local government to influence it in a certain way. And it sounds a lot like things that are happening or or things that politicians are concerned about on a much larger level. Uh, you would say on a global level. On a global level. Oh, my goodness. Poor Brooklyn. 
you know, we're just another we're just another statistic now, Tony. I, I literally, we're just another statistic. Unbelievable. Which it was, which you know, and that's what the facts show. Which in and of itself is kind of remarkable, I think. You know, and, 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 and I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I if think you the agree. facts. You know, this is such. This website is is so insignificant, obviously. And the poll was throwing it up there was an afterthought. Obviously, mm-hmm. it was not meant to test or or just more a testing a functionality, frankly. And the <laughs> fact that it garnered enough attention and was used in such a way uh, that someone could sort of dial up likely a troll farm from wherever shows how portable and how accessible this technology is for likely one individual. So the, the technology to the get techno- the bot or whatever the entities are. Right. right. And right, there was right. no, and admittedly, maybe this set, it, set the trap even better, there was no CAPTCHA on this poll. So the, the, there was security in place in the sense that if you came from the same, I, if you came from the same browser, you couldn't repeat you vote. You couldn't just hit vote, 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 right. vote. Right. Right. It would track your cookie. But if you deleted your cookies, you could vote again and again. But um, but then that wouldn't ping with all those different All the IP different addresses. IP addresses. It's clearly bouncing around the world to mask its IP uh, source. And that, but that technology is very accessible. And that is the root of how, you know, the Facebook uh, fake, fake sites, fake groups, fake advertising, all this stuff, gener- you know, amplifying fake news, fake Twitter feeds. That it's, it's a very similar type of action at a much, much smaller scale. So who have you, aside from... Uh, Brooklyn paper reporter Julianne Cuba, who knows seemingly everything that's going on in the borough at, at once um, and still manages to live, sleep, eat, sleep, and breathe. Yeah. Um, who have you sort of tipped she off little, about she looks, this suspicion? She's a little tired lately. A little, a little tired. tired. Yeah. Um, you know, have you brought it to the attention of any of the community boards or, you know, the, anyone involved in the, in the land use review procedure? I mean, frankly, since it just, I, I woke up yesterday to this article and had an agenda for my day that did not include dealing with it sure. and trolling sort of had through to the do data. Crisis. Yeah. So, uh, so no. And, and then Julianne called before I had the chance to think about another, you know, the, the kind of planned thought was to not draw attention to it, frankly, to not give credence to something that seemed underhanded. Um, but, uh, but no, you are at this point, the first and only to be informed about this interesting little tidbit of a story. Not for long, I'm sure, because... Well, now it's out there. You can't unshoot this gun. You put it out there on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Everybody's talking about it the next day. They're sitting around the uh, the water cooler, I believe it is. Uh, One of those old-fashioned Did you hear that? Did you hear about that on Brooklyn Paper Radio yesterday, they say? That is... Chitter, ch- that is what we call banter across the borough. <laughs> it is, um, which is a real word. Brooklyn Paper Radio banter. Um, yeah. Hashtag. Is that an acronym? Banter. Banter is real. Banter is real. I don't think it stands for the Brooklyn Paper Radio banter. Oh. Now, Ben, with regard to the eighty Flatbush Towers, you know, there are there are several people who kind of see benefits to the project. Yeah, we got to get into the nuts and bolts here. And, you know, yeah. some of the things which we skipped over, there will be two new schools as part of this development. Correct. A new home for the, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this, but the Khalil Gibran International Academy. Correct. Which is a high school that's already on the land, in a building on the land that they wanted. So the the high school that's already there gets a new... Gets a new building. Is it a, is it a, a standalone building, or is it part of one of the it's other It's going towers? to be part... Well, semi-standalone. Yeah. The, the construction is very... The renderings are very, 
you know, interesting. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. They show as much as they don't show. <laughs> um, so they'll get a new home, which their principal is very adamant about. Their what principal wouldn't take a free school? A fr- that's what critics might say. He claims that his school's falling apart. I think it's in a 19th century Civil War infirmary. Mm-hmm. And so that's it, not a public school. That is a private school, right? Public school. It's a public, well, it is a public high school, school. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, mm. And then there will be a second school. I think both schools have a somewhere between 300 and 400 seats. 350, exactly between. Yes, um, 350. The second school would be an elementary school, which is something, you know, the edge of Borham Hill and the surrounding communities, many people would say they need, mm-hmm. you know, for all the youngsters coming up. And then there's there's just the housing itself. And I then mean, there's the housing itself, 200 units of which will be so-called affordable. Yeah, so-called. As part of... How many know, how many units altogether? 900. 900 it's a lot units. Of apartments, yeah. Condos or Nine, rentals? 922. 922. Uh, They're rentals. They say primarily rentals, but some possibly condos. TBD. Interesting. To be determined. To be determined. Because I know a lot of people say, you know what? They should build that 1,800 feet and fill it with 1,800 condos. I know people that would say that. So what's what's wrong with that development? Uh, what's wrong with that happening in, in your area? What And and how close do you live to the project? Like, you know, because you're in Fort Greene, which I, some of our listeners obviously know the proximity, but... Tell them how close you live and, and how close to your backyard it is. So this will definitely make me sound NIMBY, uh, <laughs> but that's I, I'm okay with that. I uh, think it's important to put it all on the table. But I live in one handsome place in the Williamsburg Savings Bank building, mm-hmm. which, which is was the tallest building in Brooklyn uh, until about 10 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. So the clock tower building. Um, and we have also, I've met with the developers many times, so this is not lobbing stones across the wall. Yes, Alloy LLC. Um, and just to first off, you, you said a lot there about the project, all of which I agree with. The, no one who is in the community is opposed to schools, right? I'm not, and I made a joke about the principal, but the principal, bless him, he's got a school, he's got a tough school, it's the, 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 the facilities, although we've asked to tour it and been refused, from what I see or hear, are not great. They don't have a gym. They don't have an auditorium. These are things that the Department of Education should deal with, absolutely. Um, so no one is opposed to schools. His school is enrolled at 268 students. It currently has capacity for 325. So the new school proposed would give them 25 new seats. Um, Alloy touts on their site that they're creating 700 new school seats. So I guess if you consider a new seat to be new furniture type right. seat versus a new, you know, an added seat to yeah. the district, that's not, you know, then that's 700. The, the elementary school at 350 seats, grades K through five or PK through five. Is that a new elementary school? New or elementary school. Elementary. Okay. So that would be 50 students per grade, two right. grades of 20, two classes of 25. It would be and one schools, of the smallest in the district. But schools in the area are something that are that are in serious demand. Serious demand, but you also then have to look at the impact of the building of 900 units of housing on a school. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at all of the students who will come out of that based on the DOE's multipliers, it would be about 560 students coming out of that building or those two towers. So 
By, there are do- lots of different ways to look at it. Alloy says they will have a net positive impact of 164 new seats. You can also say a negative impact of, of negative 150 new seats. There are a couple, several different ways to look at the math, and, and it gets annoying. Based and, on and the technical. amount of people that would be moving in. Is what the you're amount saying. of people, the difference, whether it's the difference between as of right and the upzoning, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The rea- so, but the cost of what's being asked of the community is very high for a very marginal number of seats. If you wanted to measure it in floors of towers, it comes down to about 1.1 floors per school seat which if we're going to solve the school seat problem that way, by that model, we're going to need thousands of floor towers to solve the school seat problem by that ratio. Do you have an answer to the school problem? Or are there other areas where you think schools can go that would, that would <coughs> suffice or maybe allow for more seats with obviously less height? I mean, there is money. So the, the, the school construction authority is the district or the, the city's authority for yep. building schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have... When we started this discussion, they had about $150 million unallocated dollars in the budget to build schools. They've $150 since million? Million, yeah. Okay. Uh, they've since allocated 60 or $70 million of those for some schools in Sunset Park, where the need really is great. Right. The overcapacity there is about 150 160%. Right. In this area, it's actually more like 80 to 90%, 110% by some measures, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I have a solution? No, I'm not the DOE, but this project is being led by the Education Construction Fund, which is another entity. It's a state-created, city-run agency that gives the land of schools to private developers. Right. So that's how they're getting access to the land and the high school and the air rights. Allows them to create a public-private partnership, float tax-free bonds to pay for the school, and then also in, in conjunction here, they're going through the ULERP to get this upzoning. So through those two things, the developer would be getting a gift from the community and the DOE worth probably about $350 million. That's the part that people in the community have issue with. Not the so, only so part, but a big part. The devil's in the details is what Correct. you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard okay. to soundbite this one because it's very complicated. And there's a lot of city agencies involved. There's been about $700,000 in lobbying money spent starting back in 2015. It's gone to you know, city council, mayor's office, Department of City Planning, Department of Education. It's been sprinkled all over. So what are your representatives saying there? What are your council people saying about this project? So the, the, as you probably well know, the standard in land use issues with the council is to defer to the local council of member. Course. Right. So it becomes a vote of one, and everyone follows their, that, that lead. Most and of right. the time. Most right. of the time. Right. Generally speaking. Well, sometimes there's a council person that nobody likes. Right. And then they don't vote with it. Don't but get that's followed. A, that's a whole different uh, story. But, but go on. So what is your council person saying? So Steve Levin is not my council member. My council member is Lori Cumbo, but Steve Levin. Ooh, is this on, is this on a border? It, well, it it's is. it's in Levin's district. It's in Levin's, Levin's district. district. Okay. His, he's the big man. And, and he has, uh, we have met with him. He has not publicly commented on one way or the other, his mom. He was the he was he was one of few uh, elected officials with a direct role in this that didn't attend the first public hearing in April or didn't send a rep. A lot of them sent representatives. Mm. He didn't have a presence there, you know. Not in actually. In I will correct that. In May, he did have a representative there for some reason, and this is interesting. The representative did not get the chance to speak 
when oh, all the other elect elected spoke at the at the meeting, the CB two hearing on May twenty eighth, I believe it was. So you're saying basically Levin's been invisible. Le Levin has been following the process. He has not stood up and said, "This is my opinion on it," which you know. But you're saying he hasn't showed up to any of these events. No, he has. He has sent representatives. He sent representatives, but he hasn't been there. I'm just that asking. Is yeah, I'm okay. just trying to. I'm trying. I want to make an accurate I mean, statement. Like, yeah, and like I believe a, he personally has not attended these events. It seems like a pretty. It seems like a pretty big point of comparison. Yeah. Context. Um, obviously, there will be. There are people who will say she she did this for political reasons. But you know, just stating the facts. Last May, you know, just as the land use review process was kicking off for another controversial project over in Crown Heights at the Bedford Union Armory. Yep, I remember this. Lori Cumbo, mm -hmm. who was sort of the vote to watch in that process, she came out publicly at the, more or less at the onset of the process, opposing the development of the armory as it stood. Now, history showed us she changed her vote at the end when the developer conceded to including condos, but the point being that, you know, a lot, I think when Julianne was reporting this story, some source may have told her that it's normal for the council member not to take an, a, a position early on. But I said to her, well, sh what, what about Lori Cumbo on the arm? You know, like she, she did take she a position. She did. She very, and, you know, again, many will argue that it was so going into her election last fall. She would be on the right side of her constituents and then could change her vote after she was elected into office. But she took the position. Mm -hmm. um, so Levin hasn't done that. It, my, from what I've heard and seen, and I have not intimately followed his past work, but it, it tends to be his MO to hold back and let the process unfold and not want to... And this is what his people have told me, mm -hmm. not want no, to influence it. It's too it. soon. It is too soon. No right or wrong. To make a decision on this matter. We need to have all the facts in front of us before we can actually say if this is good or bad. When basically the only fact in front of us here and the only concern or the, the biggest concern that you guys have is density. Right? It seems pretty obvious to me that you're, you're worried about, all right, this is a giant building. That's going to affect us adversely, you know. I don't know if if uh, if the land use the land use review process is going to look into what's going to happen with shadows. I don't know if that's part of it. It might not be. Maybe it should be. I don't know. Probably should. It be. is. It is. Shadows are part of the. Uh, yeah. I know I mean, how it affects the environment. You remember our story last week about a bunch of local gardeners who. I know they were complaining about it, but uh, my question was, I don't recall because I know we've done stories on shadows in the past. If it's if it's specific to to the ULARP process, if shadows, no, there is was a shadow as study. part of the environment, part of the, yeah, no, yeah, all that stuff, yeah. But it just seems that like something as simple as density as height seems like it doesn't take much to make that decision. You know, the city is always happy is always happy to to do studies when something has to be implemented. You know, uh, because it it stalls. You know, and council people will happily say, oh, "I just need to see everything." When Again, everything's kind of right in front of you. Either you're mm. for a giant tower, you know, on the uh, you know between Fort Greene and Borum Hill, or you're against or a giant yeah. a giant tower. And you could say that there's all this other stuff that goes into it. But I mean, honestly, if you don't want to have a big tower there, Steve Levin's the guy to stop it. 
all he has to do is say no, and you know. I think it's a you know this is a project that did not initiate from the developer, so there's a lot of pressure to make it work. It checks a lot of the administration's boxes, mm -hmm. right? Affordable housing, schools, office space in downtown. So you want to take it a step Some, further? You want to go to the mayor? I mean, ultimately, I believe you think the, this mayor, is the mayor's project. That's the supposition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have we've you met with Department of City Planning. Uh, and Mr. Levin joined us at that meeting. Well, he was there. Okay, okay. so there you go. He, he, he met us. He met with us at DCP, and Marissa Lago was there. Uh -huh. And he said, "Please give me flexibility in this process." And they certified the project with a zoning envelope that shrink wrapped the design as is, so that took away all flexibility. He said, "Please give me flexibility with this project," and then the city said, "No." Correct. Because he wanted to be able to say, all right, we'll get rid of this, we'll get rid of this, Move this we'll over add here. this, we'll do that, and we'll try to make everybody happy. And they were like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So it's all or nothing. All or nothing. Forcing the hand. Vote it, vote it down. If you dare, vote, yeah, vote no. Which the mayor can still veto. Veto. Right. So and if then he the really city wants council, it, it's going to happen regardless. But he doesn't, the mayor's not going to want it to but come, I don't to, think come he'll to that. Be, well, unless he's the one doing the bots. <laughs> but no, I don't think he'll go against such strong public public opinion. Um, well, this is a very, very interesting story. And, and it's this unfolding. Is a, this it is a deep dive. We're doing a yeah. deep dive here. We're doing a deep dive. And right now we're underwater and we're barely breathing. But we're gonna have to we're gonna have to swim back up to the surface, Tony, because I think we're just about out of time. Well and we sh we should we still have time to kick it over to Ben to share whatever he's got coming up. What else you got for us, Ben? This is a crazy story. I know we're going to follow it. We're certainly going to be talking to Steve Levin on this, aren't we, Tony? Absolutely. I we'll mean, have we've Julianne tried. Cuba on that. All right. Julianne we'll see. And, we'll, and maybe we need to call the, the mayor's office and find out if he has a position on this, if, in fact, he's going to have the final say. Oh, well, you've I, been very successful at that. I try. Getting him to speak. To I that try. To that end, I will say I attended the town hall that, that Lori Cumbo hosted with the mayor. Uh, and I got a question, and I asked him very specifically, what is your position on 80 Flatbush? It happened to be two days after I had met with, and we had met with Marissa Lago in DCP. She walked up into his ear, and but he said, he gave a, a very, the answer you would expect. Which is? I don't, I don't, have I don't all hate facts. it. I don't, it's developing. I don't hate it. It checks a lot of boxes. I'm mm -hmm. not, you know, being a city council member from that area, I can understand the concerns with tall buildings. Etc. 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 I'll send you the video. Etc. Well, yeah, we can put that online. The Beep, by the way, speaking of town halls, is hosting one soon. Yes. So yes. Yeah, so About this so project. the the uh, the next step in the process is after community board. It's sort of overlapping because of timing, but the very next step is next is this coming Monday, April thirtieth. The Brooklyn Borough President, as everyone knows, Eric Adams, will be hosting the, uh, the public hearing. The beep. The beep, we call him. The beep. The beep. Okay, go. Public hearing. So testimony, public testimony. Everyone can and should come out to Borough Hall to testify. There will be overflow rooms because we had 500 people at the land use or at the community board hearing. Uh, you can also send an email if you don't want to come out in person. Uh, send an email to askeric at brooklynbp.nyc.gov. Uh, to submit testimony, thoughts, questions, you love it, you hate it. 
Um, and also visit our website, which may or may not contain a poll the next time you get there. You better be careful with what you say right now because the Russians are listening. And, and because we know, never had that episode to congratulate Putin on the win. No, we didn't do that. We've been kicking that we gotta, episode back. We, we've got to do better, Tony. I, I say I, it all the time. It's about time before he starts infiltrating <laughs> uh, Stephanie's analytics. Last question on this project on the ULERP, uh, the review process. When is it? I mean, these things are scheduled, right? When does it come to an end? At what point in time? Will we actually see, will we know for pretty darn sure whether this uh, this project is happening or not? So each phase has a maximum number of days. It yep. doesn't have to use the maximum, so you right. can only kind of estimate the range. Well, but you, could let's say well you could say if everything used the maximum number of days, it has to be over by? Like October. October of this year. This Correct. Year. There you go. Yeah. So by October, could we'll be have as early as August. Could be as early as August. Could yeah. be as early as August. This summer, going away for you know a vacation. What? You're coming back. You're going to have two huge showers. No, but as someone who has covered um, stuff like this for a long time, things tend to happen in the summer. It's a good time right. when people aren't around. People, nobody's around during the summer and on Fridays. If you want to push through a project that nobody's happy with, do it in August. You the first, hear, the first you document, heard it here first. The first document dropped on July Fourth weekend. So. They so followed the playbook. There you go. There you go. I heard they're asking uh, what your citizenship is at the public hearing, just to make sure they don't have any foreign agents there. I'm kidding. It could be. But in so light if, of if, the census. If folks could visit the website at block80flatbushtowers.com, 80 the number 80, and follow us on Twizzer, Twitter. Twizzer. Twi or Twizzer. Twizzler. <laughs> Block 80 Flatbush. Follow us on Twitter. There you go. All right. So... I think we were supposed to have uh, Stephanie Thompson on, but we've run a little long. We've run long. We've run long. So we're probably going to um, have Stephanie invite on. Invite her back. Yeah, we'll invite her back next week. So, look, she's waving she's to me. She's a parent. From the, she's got nothing to no, do. No, she'll be okay. She'll be okay. But, you know, we will have her on. <laughs> we'll have her on next week. I'm um, looking forward to that. And next week, who's coming on? We have we have like a big a big big show. Uh, this week. I believe it's um, Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Congresswoman Yvette, who has nothing to do with this project as a congresswoman. No, right? although she could just you know say she hates it just for the sake of saying it, or loves it for that matter. Yeah, for that. But I bet so. she will have a lot of other interesting things to say. Um, uh, congresswoman Clark, she who was behind appeals to get names for Robert E. Lee and and sort of polarizing soldiers out of Fort Hamilton, and she's sort of, she's behind a lot of interesting stuff going on. Well, now. we got a lot going on, and we're going to talk about national issues next week on, on Brooklyn Pay. We're going to take national issues and make them somehow hyper-local. Well, you know, it sounds something like we've done before. <laughs> Maybe in the past 30 minutes. I don't know. I can never keep things straight. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Jimmy, well, what's going on? Where's the fade-out music? <laughs> Jimmy, we're dying over here. He's giving us the thumbs up. Us thumbs up. I think he's voting on the poll. <laughs> Jimmy, vote for, vote yes. Vote yes. He's a New Yorker. He's not eligible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Listen, no, it was ben, great to have you, you on. Thanks we for lo coming we in. look forward to uh, following this story. Yeah. From end to end. On both, you know, we try to, to include as much as we can. We appreciate I your think coverage. I hear that sound. There it is. There it is. And we will see you guys all next week on Brooklyn Paper Radio. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>